$3,000 bounty on the shot cash a check. My name is Matthew Grohl. And 24 hours is like three weeks. My name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film. Jaws. Or is my, for some reason, my son reads it as Oz. He just goes, it's Oz, the movie. I mean, that's just your son not learning English. You're not doing a good job teaching him. Yeah, he could also. Yeah, <laughs> that's should, definitely the case. You tell him that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried, but he's like, no, no, this is Oz the movie. And I was like, oh, okay, the well, great and well. powerful. He did actually ask me a lot of quick because we were talking about the co- the cover today, and he was like, did does 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 the shark eat the lady? And I said, yes, yes, she does, yes, he does. Mm. And for some reason, we masculinized the shark immediately. And then he followed up with, well, why does he do that? Like, why should the shark eat the lady? And I was like, well. Sharks don't distinguish between people and and fish. And he said, well, someone should tell the sharks not to eat people. And I said, you know what? That's a good strategy. They, I think Roy Schneider, Roy Schneider should have been in the water with a, with a megaphone saying, please don't eat any more people. That's right. Would have been like, cool. So the, the question, um, normally we, we uh, tend to, especially in this time of self-isolation and quarantine, we tend to be watching things on streaming. So when Shahir, you say something like, oh, your son was looking at box art. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm just curious, what, what piece of box art exactly was your son looking at? Well, my son was looking at my original Blu-ray restoration, which I purchased a few years ago. However, in a couple of weeks' time, my son could be looking at the new limited edition combo pack with lenticular packaging, which includes a 4K Ultra, Ultra HD Blu-ray with digital code of the film along with a 44-page booklet includes rear photos storyboards and more from the archive if you can't guess at this point we have got five of these to give courtesy of universal pictures and we're very excited to be uh uh well we're not really sponsored by them in this episode are we we're just kind of like we're not sponsored we're, we're, they're we're, not paying we're, us they're we're giving the us men. yeah they're yeah, giving we're the us men. the option to yeah. give copies of jaws to all <laughs> of you which we're very thrilled to do because Jaws is awesome and it's a great excuse for us to talk about the movie and and you're awesome and you're awesome. Uh, and we're going to make it slightly tricky on you today. I got a question for you. You're going to have to answer the question if you want to get the Jaws. If you want to get the Blu-ray, you're going to have to do some math. Use your Jaws. Well, use actually, jaws. don't use your Jaws because you're going to have to email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com, the correct answer of this. And then we will tell you you won. And then you send us your address to send to the people at Universal who then send you the Jaws. Oh, this is a long chain of events that needs to all fall down like dominoes, and we hope it'll work. But here's my question for you, for all you Jaws aficionados there who may, will hopefully have seen the film, but if you haven't seen the film, you can actually find the scene that answers this question online. I've double-checked it to make sure it is out there. The question is, according to Quint, played in the film by Robert Shaw, how many men did the sharks eat on the USS Indianapolis. And more specifically, uh, if you want to get into some semantics, not necessarily while they were on the USS Indianapolis, but, you know, around the USS Indianapolis. So, there's an answer for that. There's a very specific number I'm looking for. First five people that can come up with that number. Get it right. Email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. I might ask you for an iTunes review in return. I might no, not, no. depending. We, I we, don't know. We will. We will. We will 100% <laughs> um, not send you your prize until you uh, <laughs> until you give us an iTunes review. Uh, we'd love five stars, but you know we'll give as many as you can. Also, uh, you should put in your iTunes review that we made you do the <laughs> iTunes review. Oh, yeah. Uh, for To win a prize. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, absolutely. So we are uh, we are shrills, if not anything, for ourselves. Um, but just uh, backing off that iTunes uh, review question, we do have a couple of emails uh, and an iTunes review that we're going to read out to you today. Uh, first up, this one was very exciting for me, which was our listener Joe, who had emailed us in previously asking us questions about our uh, necessary versus unnecessary conversation that I think we had in the El Camino episode uh, many a moon ago. Ah, yes. Uh, which, which was a heated conversation. Uh, and I think it inspired, well, I'm not sure if this was ex- if we were exactly the inspiration for Joe, but at any rate, uh, we'll believe that we are. I and mean, Joe... I don't think we were. I think this is a large question that <laughs> we were not question. the first to ask. <laughs> uh, Joe has created a video essay based off of this question of what is necessary, art versus necessary, and it is 
awesome. So uh, we thank you, Joe, uh, for sending us in a reminder that you had done that. We will post a link uh, on our Twitter feed and on our show notes for this episode to that video essay. It's a terrific question, exploration of the question that I think we were really asking in that episode or yelling at each other about sure. in that episode. Uh, you just watched this, is that right? Yep, I did indeed watch it. I think it does, it does uh, that thing that video essays do where it gives you all the information and then actually lets you at the end sort of figure out what you believe based on some stuff, which I always do appreciate. So thank you, Joe, for sending that in. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's. You want me to do the first email in, good sir? Yeah. yeah. What do we got? Uh, a little, is... little bit of a revision of our Matrix episode. Yeah, it's true. We just uh, about two, what, two weeks ago at this point, um, we had uh, Shahir's very good friend uh, who played the character of Apoc. <laughs> on in the matrix on yes he did julian a fantastic yes yeah uh and and this uh, this email from steven is entitled matrix murder uh <laughs> my take steven says which the film never says but for some reason i felt while watching is that although getting killed in the matrix is fatal for the heroes who are jacked in on the hacked signal death is not permanent for the inhabitants of the matrix the people who are plugged into the system legitimately allowing them to die would be a waste of living batteries so they reboot without consequence so no more murder than a video game um i really like that explanation i yeah. think that would actually for me that if that was in the movie that would solve almost every single problem i have with the film um uh if you go back to that episode i think i talked about the uh uh, what was the the paradox? It was the Death Star paradox of the Matrix, um, and uh, it was a funny thing about like whether you d you know what the consequence of dying in the Matrix versus dying in the real world were. Uh, I think uh, Stevens' uh, take here is really good, although I just don't think it's actually uh, written into the film as it exists right now. In fact, uh, but I think Steven, sadly, I think it's actually <laughs> semi, ever so slightly, written out. They really? actually have a there's they're, when they're talking about talking about this um, and it's kind of a throwaway philosophical thing, but they kind of treat it and show it as science where Morpheus or one of the characters says the body cannot live without the mind, which to me then says if your mind thinks you're dead, whether you're legitimate or you're or you're, whether you're in the real matrix or the hacked into the matrix, then your body will shut down. That doesn't explain blood coming out of your mouth. But it does explain. Uh, and I think that was my issue with the film. But 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 I think his point here, which is that uh, for the for the machines to waste human bodies on death in uh, in a in a simulation seems like such a waste. But they also so what if you could just recycled. Too. What's that? Basically, the. Uh, when they made a perfect matrix, Smith's agent Smith says this, that people like couldn't handle it and freaked out. So if people didn't actually like die or have pain or any, do any of these sort of natural human things, they wouldn't have any actual power source. So I feel like it's actually kind of like, essentially, <laughs> if we want to get real utilitarian about it, human death is probably like vampire power. And I don't mean like <laughs> what we do in the shadows, which is a fantastic series on FX, which everyone should check out. I mean, like when you leave something plugged in that's turned off, it slowly is leaching power away from your socket. You are spending a tiny bit of wattage, I believe. So <laughs> uh, th I think this is just something that they have to do to maintain their entire battery like surplus. Well, all this and more questions will hopefully be answered in The Matrix 4 coming out. <laughs> now, I think, being pushed back by an entire year because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, so we will we will find out if, uh, if that uh, question gets answered at any point. Thanks for the email, Stephen. Uh, one more review here from Tris, man. This is a second review, and so we appreciate the, uh, the second uh, uh, review. I think you had to set up a second iTunes account to do that, so we appreciate that. <laughs> is it Tris Man 2? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Tris Man 2, I think... I think Hang on, let me confirm I mean, this. Maybe it's electric. The Topam Historian, which is actually probably accurate. It at this is point. entirely accurate. Throughout every episode, Matt and Shahir emit amazing chemistry, and each guest they have brings a new energy to the show, kind of like bodies in the Matrix, I, I guess. If you're <laughs> looking for a starting point episode, such as the Son of Soul episode and Michael Moore and Trump Land episode. Either way, always a joy to see what comes next from Matt and Shahir, and I will always be a fan. We are fans of yours, Tris, man. We appreciate the shout-out. Yes, thank you so much. And the effort it takes to write us two reviews on iTunes. Much appreciated. So... so. When was Have the last you time you went swimming? <laughs> I know, right? I, that was so. You know, it's actually funny. I, yeah. uh, due to the pandemic and the general hellscape that we're living through for lots of different reasons, um, mm. Black Lives Matter. Uh, yeah. The I have not um, 
even thought about outdoor, uh, outdoor, outdoor activities for quite some time. Oh, um, wow. I dream uh, I about outdoor activities. I can't fathom. I mean, I, I I feel like I'll just get too sad. I was I was watching Jaws, and I was like, man, the beach. I hate the beach. I would I want to go to the beach, and for me, I would kill to go to the beach right now. For me to want to go to the beach, you know, there's stuff wrong. Um, I do love swimming though. Yeah, okay. Swimming okay. is delightful in 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 pools and rivers and fresh water. So uh, I daydream about going outdoors all the time, and I think I I think uh, there was an opportunity I had some at some point. Um, this has happened to me a couple times in my life. If if I'm deprived from being able to put my feet on grass mm -hmm. with no shoes, then the minute I get to do that later, I am like a puppy, which is that I just suddenly run around crazily in circles for no reason, um, <laughs> and I will just do that for a while, and it really makes me happy. At any rate, uh, when I was growing up in Fiji uh, as a child, uh, I must have been under the age of ten. Two things were, or two things happened. One was that my parents let me watch Jaws. So Jaws uh -huh. came out in 1974, which means uh, it came out before I was born. Uh, and for some reason, they felt it was okay for- It was 75, wasn't it? Sorry? Uh, 74, 75, around that period. Okay. Uh, either way, I'm younger than Jaws, thankfully. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, and my parents uh, let me watch it for some reason, under 10-year-old, and it- scared the bejesus out of me and what was great about uh doing some research this week is this story was was not only um th this action was corroborated by one none other than kevin smith who had the same reaction to the movie which is that i was so scared of the water after watching this movie that i actually was afraid to go to the toilet like i didn't want to i i was scared that a shark would come out of the toilet I was that afraid of water at that point because of this movie. I have heard that from multiple people, not just you and Kevin Smith. <laughs> that apparently is a legitimate, like, cultural fear. And I lived on an island nation. And so the water was all around and swimming was what we did. And so I was so deftly afraid of the water from that point on, I couldn't even go to the toilet, let alone, let alone go to the beach. Um, the second thing, which is something that I revealed uh, on an episode, and I cannot remember which episode it was. So go was back that, and listen to all of them. Yeah, just go back. Uh, Terrace Man, you'll, you'll get on this. I'm sure you could find us the exact episode. But um, uh, my name was my well my dad told me at some point he wanted to name me Sean instead of Shahir after the kid in Jaws. Hmm. And I was like and so when I was watching it this time around, I've watched Jaws a few times, uh, but this was uh I think the first time in a few years. Uh the first the only thing I was looking at this time around was Sean and who this character who this little kid was and why potentially um <laughs> He might have wanted me, but and the saddest thing is, there's that great scene in the film where uh, Ch uh, Chief Brody says, "Give me a kiss." Why? Because I need it. And I was like, "Oh, I think my dad was looking for me to be that kid and not the little shit that I probably was." Um, so uh, those are two good revelations from having to for for rewatching Jaws, among others that we will get into in this episode. Matt, when was the last time you watched Jaws? Oh gosh, uh, probably. 15 years ago wow maybe uh it yeah. was a delight to go back to I, I um it's one of those films that like i thought i think due to the fact i'd seen it like a few times even though the last time was long ago that like i remembered everything like i always felt like i'm like oh yeah i know jaws i could probably like recite jaws and i was watching i'm like this feels newish i was like <laughs> i don't know like there's there's a lot more slow and methodical like in a good way stuff mm -hmm. than I remembered. Um, I really do think it, uh, man, the, 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 the way that all of these characters sort of interact, actually the, the first third in particular, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but, um, the way that like, um, government is portrayed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was very apt. Um, because listen, I mean, horrible things can be happening, Shahir. You can't ruin the 4th of July. You or cannot. The summer season or whatever the hell it is. Well, not for Amityville. No. <laughs> uh, so um, 
so I found myself gravitating more toward that stuff than honestly the 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 giant sharkness. Um, mm-hmm. I love Jaws as a catalyst. I think, and I, you know, everyone knows the story, or maybe you don't, but like how the animatronic shark, while a masterpiece, also was malfunctioning consistently. <laughs> and so they had to sort of dial back how much you see it and therefore giving the movie its sort of telltale like, you know, hint at not show sort of uh, vibe that it has and is, is highly effective. Um, so I'm always a fan of that. So I, I believed I, I, I latched onto this viewing the more um, minimalist stuff and the friendships uh, more so than giant shark, giant shark, which is what uh, I used to do. Okay. Well, what is uh, what is Jaws about from the young upstart uh, filmmaker known as uh, Steven Spielberg? Is that his name? Uh, yeah, Spalberg. Yeah. The internetmoviedatabase.com says, when a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. <laughs> that sounds like the start of a bad joke, right? <laughs> I know. I, but, <laughs> accurate. I mean- yeah. It, that is well. That's what the end of the movie's about. Well, what do you, I, I, we do this every time. What are you, what are you hoping for here? No, it's good. I, I, I you <laughs> know what? I rescind any snark or or questioning in my in my tone. But yeah, it'd be hard to like go into like due to the folly of the you know yeah. Amityville uh, government. People yeah. keep getting eaten. Yeah. So I get um, so taking us back to 1974, a young upstart filmmaker by the name of Steven Spielberg, who had only made one theatrically released feature film at this point, The Sugarland Express, plus a television movie by the name of Duel, along with uh, uh, several other tele- uh, television shows, the uh, ha- was given the opportunity to direct uh, the adaptation of Peter Benchley's wildly successful uh, story of a shark that terrorizes a small beach town. Now, the interesting thing here is the the mythology around Steven Spielberg at this point is... Um, is prolific. You know, mm-hmm. we we do regard Steven Spielberg as possibly the the singularly most notable face of pop art when it comes to cinema uh, of the 21st century. Uh, he is a you know major contemporary figure um, that has you know dominated both uh, popular culture and film criticism. Um, you know, uh, 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 and obviously uh, on a personal level, um, still uh, a director who. I marvel at their every tech, not not only their every technical acumen, but the way they wield that technical acumen uh, in service of story and character. I think one of the best descriptions I'd ever read of Steven Spielberg, which is ironic because he didn't graduate from film school, mm. but was the idea that he is the best example of film school filmmaking, in that he is his. Um, his understanding of visual storytelling and symbolic storytelling is really succinctly um, readable by the audience. So, um, you know, a filmmaker like Stanley Kubrick, who is obviously, you know, uh, wildly popular among critical circles, um, can put in abstractions into their films that require deciphering and, and, you know, um, time to kind of uh, absorb. Spielberg, on the other hand, is acutely aware of how visual storytelling works and does it directly so the audience can understand it. You know, like the the, the amazing shots in Spielberg's career are, of course, uh, E.T. flying across the uh, uh, the moon um, with on a bike, the uh, the image of the dinosaur with uh, when dinosaurs rule the earth kind of fluttering in the background be- behind them, um, the the girl in the red dress in, Sch- in Schindler's List, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and on and on and on. In this film... The moment for me that was so singularly Spielbergian in terms of its simplicity and elegance and easy and 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 what makes him so good is that he does it at a level that is understandable by everyone, and that's why he's a populist filmmaker. Sure, but in, but you know an excellent uh, populist filmmaker is the shot of the orca, the ship uh, going out to sea through the teeth of um uh a bu- you know uh, uh, a jaw uh, a shark shark teeth that has been um uh, put to up a window. Uh, yeah mounted to a window that is the perfect encapsulation of visual storytelling simplistic you know it's the kind of thing that you would expect a bad filmmaker who um you know uh, kind of is trying to be direct about something but so elegant in the hands of Spielberg who kind of understands at which point to use a trick like that yeah. um and and use it well so for me the thing about Spielberg at this point, you know, and it, it, it's it's his mastery of 
the camera in relation to movement and character. He knows exactly when to move the camera in order to emphasize character at that point. And there's so many in this film, there's so many single takes in this film that don't really draw attention to themselves, but really draw you into what is happening with the character. And I think he's just so good at that. Well, the um, interesting thing is he wasn't even the first dude to be directed in this movie. He was not the first dude. The first dude wanted to direct a whale. That is true. Dick Richardson was taken off the movie after repeatedly referring to the uh, script shark as a whale during production meetings. Uh, and yeah, then he was asked to leave. Uh, so this movie, if someone just did their marine biology homework, uh, could have been very, very different. Could have been entirely different. But of course, you know, we have to remember that the book was wildly popular at the time as well. And Spielberg, you know, again, the mythology around, there's a thing about Spielberg at this point or any pop culture icon as big as Spielberg is, which is that they kind of suffer, not no, they don't suffer, is the criticism of, of them um, becomes read under the sort of genius paradox, which is that every decision they make kind of gets read, you know, that we're arguably classifying them as a genius upon, you know, uh, upon all definitions in the cinematic language which is being mm. one and therefore every decision he, he you know he makes in every film that we watch of his gets uh put under that mythological status and uh, you know that's not to say it's unwarranted but it's kind of interesting to watch um you know behind the scenes documentaries about jaws and to you know him talking about the fact that this was the this was the movie that nearly broke him mm-hmm. uh and and every decision you know as you kind of outlined before the shark wouldn't you know the, the famously the shark wouldn't work i believe there is a um there is a a narrative screenplay floating around that is almost gone into production a couple of times about the making of Jaws. Oh, you know, kind fun. of like a like a Dolomite is my name, but for Jaws. Um where, you know, like uh the famous stories about Spielberg uh not being able to sleep, um basically, you know, rewriting the script every day. Um and f- the most important thing here is that, you know, for a young 27 year old filmmaker who's just kind of getting his first big feature film, um, you know, uh one of the things that's always been drilled into me is do not overgo do not go over schedule. Always make your days and this is a film that was scheduled for 55 or 60 shooting days ended up going well over a hundred and hundred and millions of dollars over budget and still managed to become one of the great you know the biggest blockbusters of his time and essentially give uh spielberg carte blanche to make whatever he wanted to from that point on i believe it was 159 days 159 days so three times yep. the allocated uh shooting days and you know this is also uh an interesting case study in that in that idea of um uh you know there's sort of a lot of unwritten rules about shooting in hollywood one of them is you know don't shoot with children don't shoot with animals the other one that is going to be notorious is don't shoot on the water like don't film things on the water and i i've always found that one to be sort of a curious one like what would be the rationale behind that one but but jaws is the casebook example of why not to mm. uh while also being the exact reason why you should well, while the result being why you should the why not to is that anytime they would go and set up for a shot if a boat would be in the back of frame or something like that, they would have to wait, you know, like 20 minutes for it to actually exit frame and then go again, unless another boat happened to go through. Um, the weather is constantly changing. Yeah. The angles are constantly changing. Um, you're you're basically at the behest of of nature at that point. Um, and so, you know, because I think for some reason up until this point, pirate movies was another thing that people said don't make because you don't want to be on the water for very long. And so the idea with Jaws was that they were going to shoot it in a tank and Spielberg being the young upstart that he was insisted that we were going to shoot it out at sea. Um, which turned out to be uh, an expensive gamble, but one that ultimately paid off. This is the one of the first summer blockbusters, you know, to actually define the term a blockbuster. People were lining up mm-hmm. outside blocks to see this alongside Star Wars some years later. Um, and one that uh, ultimately came to define what the summer movie going experience might be for years to come. Um, that, yeah. that shooting in nature, too. <laughs> sort of on the water at the behest of the elements and things like that. Definitely, obviously, not the way to go if you're looking to to, to crunch to crunch your numbers and save a penny or two. But there's a couple interesting things that happened um, that, for instance, I, I forget when, but it's in one of the scenes near dusk or something like that um, where um, Brody's looking in the shark, like looking for the shark in the water. And then you can actually see in the scene a meteor flying by. Yeah, I did. I actually noticed that this time around. And I was like, is that digital? What is that? No, that is literally just they had a meteor. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, so that's pretty cool, especially on something, you know, that uh, you know, has been seen by so many people. That one space rock uh, is now uh, at least people have glimpsed an image of it, which is so weird. It's, you know, it's it's funny because. Uh, would Jaws have been even if Spielberg was doing it? And, you know, this is all hypothetical question. But if it had been shot in a tank, right? Mm -hmm. Could it have been as sort of effective as it was? Hmm. I don't think so. Um, I, and that's kind of where you get the, like, at least in this time and era of filmmaking with the technology behind it, et cetera, like, those extra, you know, two thirds more days or triple the days, whatever, uh, that they spent are, are is the cost of making a movie of this emotional uh, resonance of it, nineteen seventy five. Right. I, I, mm, I that I that I'm not sure of, you know, because it is entirely hypothetical. I think what yes. what what works about Jaws for me, um, and why it resonates. Um, on such a profound level is it's 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 clearly a crowd pleaser, you know, like in terms of like getting you the scares and hitting all those scares. You know, like this movie is a, a unification of so many disparate parts, you know, the score, the shark, the the performances, the the actual the the actual casting of of Martha's Vineyard as Amityville and, and the the people there kind of feel so authentic. Yeah. And then it it you know that combined with the the, the sort of fantastic writing by Carl Gottlieb and uh, Peter uh, Peter Benchley's original uh, original script, which was rewritten a couple of times, um, mixed in with Spielberg's uncanny. And I, I really do mean that. It is like he makes the complex seem elegant and simple mm. and it really is like a you know like if you look at the early scenes where chief brody is inside the um inside his office uh you know typing up notes about uh the shark the first shark attack yep uh that is such an expertly choreographed sequence in terms of like who's moving in and out where we begin where we land and where we pull back out from and the camera's literally only moving you know along three different axes on one dolly track but it's so expertly he's got such an uncanny ability or uncanny understanding of like where the audience's attention should be at this particular moment for maximum impact. And he always gets it right. Like I, I, you know, as a filmmaker, the, the, I, I, I kind of inherently knew that he, you know, Spielberg was someone whose work we should watch and we should understand it at, at any given point. You know, he's obviously a major figure, but for me, the film that actually solidified that was the opening of War of the Worlds. Now, when I watched really? War of the Worlds in theater, yeah, when I watched that in theater, the the opening attack in War of the Worlds, I was like, this guy knows where to put the camera at every single moment for maximum terror. Who like, is he this just, guy? He, who you know, he just seems to know exactly where to put the camera. Um, and I think that's a, that's, you know, look, Spielberg over the years, we've talked about this, uh, I think on our episode about on the post, you know, like has gotten, um, criticism because he is seen as a populist whose, whose films, uh, maybe may lack the depth of some of his contemporaries. Um, but, uh, I, I, I think the, the opposite is true. I think the, what Spielberg is is a master craftsman with depth and has managed to kind of he you know Gottlieb Carl Gottlieb the writer you know spoke about uh, this specific film and and Spielberg was trying to decide between two different projects uh, when he was coming to this and one of them was what a much more serious um, sort of vaudeville comedy kind of oh, serious in the sort of serious artistic right, sense not, of the word not like uh, <laughs> yeah. dramatic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Gottlieb said, you know, and I, we've, we've talked about this distinction before, but Gottlieb said that Spielberg had wanted to make a movie, not a film. Uh, and he had made that distinction, uh, you know, at that early career about like what is entertainment and what is um, what is uh, a, a, a broader palette. Um, and it's and it's a distinction that he has kind of made the separation on many times in his career. You know, like we've seen uh, when, uh, was it 1994 when Jaws came out? Someone may correct me on that. Um, Wait, you know, no, uh, sorry, when, when, uh, when, was... when Jurassic Park came oh, out. Okay, I was and like... he, made, he made Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in the same back-to-back -back years. Yeah. Even as recently as a couple of years ago, he did The Post and uh, Ready Player One at the same time as well. You know, he seems to understand that sort of distinction between uh, entertainment, you know, like movie and film as he 
categorized it at that point. Um, and he's kept that line pretty, pretty consistent, you know, even, but, but the thing for me is that even his, you know, quote unquote, what maybe he might consider his film, film movies like Schindler's List. Uh, and it is awkward to say it about this, you know, say it like this, but it is an, it is a deeply entertaining film. It is a deeply watchable movie it is a deeply affecting movie that is actually, um, in some ways, pleasurable to revisit because of how it affects you. Well, again, I think that's that's the reason why I don't particularly adhere or like the sort of movie versus film, like calling out one versus the other sort of categorization. Like Spielberg's a perfect sort of balance of no matter what the subject matter or style he's adapting into his, he checks off enough boxes in almost every category to make almost everybody enjoy the film. Like there it's, I know that's sort of over complicating a very simple thing of he makes good films. Mm -hmm. Right. But mm -hmm. like, I just, um, how do I put it? He, if, if like, exactly like you said, cause I agree with, I agree with the, uh, the take, like both Jurassic park and Schindler's list, are incredibly effective films, but they also uh, use, I don't know if I'd call it sort of, um, I guess similar filmmaking language across vastly different tones. And therefore you do get that thing. Like Schindler's List is a is an important and, and difficult film, but it is also enjoyable. Jurassic Park uh, is uh, an obviously an enjoyable film, uh, but you can also lean on depending on, and he treats it this way too, like how serious sort of bioengineering life finds a way sort of stuff is intrinsic in that as well. So it's like, I don't know, Spielberg for me is sort of the, even though he says this, and again, this is all just personal, but like he's almost one of the reasons why I believe there is no distinction mm. between movie and film. And I know that he said that, and I know that you say that, and I know a lot of people say it. Um, right. but, I, yeah. I, I say it because it's a distinction that he arises and it's a way to categorize the way he's thinking about a particular film. It's not to say that you dumb down one over the other, but it's to say that Jaws is intended for a, it has a different intended effect than Schindler's List will uh, inevitably do or, or Armistad, for example. Mm. And uh, in terms of Spielberg, uh, you know, uh, always getting it right there. He's not without his missteps. Uh, most notably for me, War Horse is a- is Be brave! He's just a- baffling sort of like what is this movie um we all and, like horses uh, yeah you gotta love horses um now the you know look uh the last couple of months uh have been a really interesting few months we have taken breaks from doing the podcast when we feel like um we've uh you know don't want to get in the way of public conversation that is happening that we feel is more important than things we have to add to it and then we've also said let's try and find films that resonate in a way that makes sense for what we're what it is we're dealing with mm -hmm. you know that's kind of what the raison d'etre for the podcast in itself and one of the things that always struck me about Jaws, thinking about Jaws right now is, you know, and, and this was a gag that was that was brought up in um, uh, Paul Feig's film Ghostbusters a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. which is, you know, like Andy Garcia's characters, don't compare me to the mayor in Jaws. I'm not like that mayor. And everyone talks about the mayor from Jaws. But, uh, you know, Alex Shepard of the New Republic wrote this uh, really great starting line. And I, uh, I think I was egging us on to do Contagion when the outbreak uh, went, had started. But Alex Shepard writes, the pandemic movie of our time isn't Contagion, it's Jaws. Yeah. The 1975 Spielberg book captures the dread of facing an invisible enemy and the incompetence of the pol politicians in, stars, uh, in charge. It's in the realm of the political where Jaws really shines. Politics are largely incidental in any other pandemic movies. Contagion famously shows no prisoner for any matter, any political figure. But Jaws' conflict, besides the shark versus everybody, is political. Mayor Vaughan sees the shark as a hoax. We heard that word before, and a messaging problem, not a public health one. I don't think you appreciate the gut people, reaction people have to these things, he tells Brody. It's all psychological. You yell Barracuda, and everybody says, huh, what? You yell Shark, we've got a panic on your hands. And the thing that I was really noticing this time, I was really paying attention to uh, the mayor character in this, because I think the modern-day um, 
uh, similarities between this film and what we're going through right now uh, felt undeniable to me, especially in the way that, to me, Brody felt like Fauci alongside Trump. You know, like Dr. Fauci and Trump standing next to each other, basically saying, listen, there's a shark in the water and one saying, but the beaches are going to be open. Um, it was it was startling how much of that that poli- the, the understanding of who the enemy is in this film yeah. uh, is really prescient. Um, and the, I think it's one of the reasons why it, why it lasts so well. And the people in this movie, the, the common folk, uh, also kind of are acting like the coronavirus haircut protesters. Yeah, yeah. Like 24, oh, 24 hours, it's like three weeks. What do you mean I can't go to the beach? <laughs> uh, and like, and, it's it's kind of, um, man, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's infuriating to watch because I did, I got the same read as you and that article where I was like, and we are living in an entire country run by the mayor of the, the mayor in Jaws. Um, <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. It's uh, it's it's insane because the, the the thing I actually wanted to sort of gather from this reading, and I've seen this film many times before, but it was I kind of wanted to sort of figure out a symbol. Uh, it's like, you know, thinking about what the symbolic significance of Jaws the shark is, you know, of, what, of Bruce the shark, mm. so to speak. Um, and you know, like Quint's speech about the USS Indianapolis and and talking about the sharks feeding, you know, and this idea that they have black eyes almost soulless until they until they chomp down on you and then their eyes roll back and reveal the whites um you know and and i think even um um uh, richard dreyfus's character um you know speaks about the fact that they are uh, a perfect uh perfect distillation of evolution you know they're perfect feeding machines that's mm-hmm. all they they basically only do this and and i i was kind of wondering about like that that sort of profound sense of what a, what Spielberg is good at in terms of like making sure that our fears are aligned not to the object, but to the but to the significance of the object. So, you know, and Hitchcock was great at this, one of Spielberg's mentors. So if you watch The Birds, the birds aren't really necessarily about the birds. It's about the inner um uh, inner anxieties of the of a new family being formed. Right. And and you know, in this case, the shark kind of represents not, you know, not only Brody's anxiety about this new life that he's formed for himself but the one moment that really caught my attention really just got like i just like i was like man that's such a great distillation of this character is when they're doing that you know the the sort of moment down in the water uh, in the in the the hull of the ship where they're talking about like the scars that they've received you know the scars oh yeah the scar the 10 minute scar conversation (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, which I th- you know it's 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 wonderful because it's like these characters all getting to know each other. We're all sort of seeing how um you know again the other thing that that's great about that scene is that um uh what is what is Richard Dreyfuss's character's name? I've forgotten it right now. It's uh, I always just call him Richard Brody Dreyfuss because Quint he's so, and he's the so marine biologist good. Hopper. Uh, Hop- Hooper, Hopper Hooper. Hooper um, is that you know like the, this is the moment that they sort of cross the class divide you know like uh, Quint is always calling uh, uh, Hooper a college boy with too much money kind of thing and 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 uh, Hooper is sort of talking about um, uh, Quint is this uh, you know like Midwestern working class kind of bullshit um, and you know this is the moment that breaks that all down but it is this little moment where where Brody lifts up his shirt. And we realize that he's got a bullet wound there and he decides not to tell anyone about it. Like he kind of, he keeps quiet during that entire scene about his wounds and this, we you know, like what's great about that and what's great about what this film is really doing is taking us through a journey around Brody's anxiety of leaving New York city, trying to form a new life where he feels like he can do some good in the world. And you know, like the shark is that attempt to do that. And, you know, like there's there's literal, um, uh, literal uh, moments in the film where this happens. Where you know, of course, where he's slapped by the mother of the child who's eaten. You know, and said, you know, how could you do this? And he, you know, that's the thing that sets him off on his quest. But I think that sort of like, what do the black eyes of the shark symbolize? And it is to do with th- this entire film is about Brody's journey to creating a world that he believes is safe. And and all the anxiety he has around trying to keep that world, you know, like trying to keep that world safe, and I think that's why I love. Well, that's why for me this film, like you know, if we're using a uh, a podcast uh, quote from a sister brother podcast of ours, the test of time, this film stands the test of time. Sure, is that it has much deeper meaning than the shark. 
Yes. I think also, uh, I think the shark, at least now from a, and again, this is why it works on so many levels. When I was younger and, and, and not quite thinking about this sort of stuff, it's a monster in the water and the, the good people have to go kill the monster. Yay. You look at it now and the shark is not a monster. The shark is an animal. <laughs> and it's so funny because especially in this day and age, um, the way that you, you know how you handle a shark <laughs> you don't go in the water right right yeah because it can't get you on land uh you know how you fight a virus <laughs> you socially distance and you isolate yourself for its incubation period and you stay at home when you can uh and it's interesting because this movie demonstrates what history demonstrates and that is that person smart people stupid and the way that the town just like implodes and the governing bodies just can't even fathom doing something that because they they're using all these excuses because it will upset the status quo and and again you can look at it from like oh well this town relies on the tourist money and like we can't do da 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 but i think what we're also seeing especially in this day and age with all of the protests of all of the atrocities going on uh in this day and age that the government in general tends to have enough money to keep afloat and then when they tell you oh man it's it's getting really tight uh i don't trust it uh just like i don't think uh you know going back to the microcosm of jaws when the mayor is like, oh, we, we need the tourist money. Like, even if that's true for the character, the tone and tenor of the day, I'm like, nah, it's bullshit. <laughs> like, you're just stuck in doing the same easy shit because it's the easiest thing to do and the most profitable for you. So it was weird to watch Jaws, the movie I remember scaring me out of the ocean, to now have it not be scared to go in the ocean I'd rather move to international waters because the scariest thing is on land. <laughs> the sharks might be our best allies at this point anyway, yeah. as long as we can equip them with lasers. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, I think, I think the thing here is that, you know, the, uh, again, looking back at, um, um, uh, Mayor Vaughn, is it Mayor Vaughn? Uh, yeah, his, yeah. his approach is it's really telling the things that he cares about. Um, he cares about order he cares about consistency and he cares and he what he what what gets him riled up into action is seeing the poster you know like the the billboard for amity being defaced and yep. he's like you know those people should be brought out you know you know uh, taken to jail for a long time he does, the 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 sort of the the world order which disrupts his sort of mode of operation which is keeping people coming in there is just out of his purview and yeah. it's most you know like it's beautifully encapsulated when when after the child dies um or after the the shark kills one more person and they go to the the hospital he's just a whimpering mess of a human being who doesn't you know like who who really who recognizes his own folly by saying my my kids were at, uh, at the beach that day as well that's not the kind of moment of humility we've necessarily seen in this pandemic per se but i think it's the the reason why Again, Spielberg is so good at this, and the writing is so good here, uh, is that the humanity of every character is understood, and the humanity if if the if the enemy in this film is a is a sort of um, soulless shark, every character in the film has a real humanity that is understandable and true, and even you know even if it's despicable at some points, we do understand what mayor vaughn is trying for and even though we recognize that he's that it's a folly we do sort of see the will we the film gives us enough space to view the will from his point of view well he's i mean you can see it you can see the point of view and be like that's a stupid fucking point of view i think the movie does a good job of showing that and then trying to show that he uh you know, when when confronted multiple sides and again, this is where it gets a little unrealistic because we've seen that uh, when confronted with multiple sides of things that might affect everybody, how that doesn't quite matter. Uh, but yes, this this character that Spielberg has directed that uh, I believe Murray Hamilton is the actor yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. that brought to life uh, is more human than most people in our government. <laughs> 
Well, the interesting. So then I want to talk about the resonance, the resonance of this film ever since. You know, Jaws has obviously come to signify something bigger in our society. And I think, I think you know, like Jaws speaks to. Uh, to me, at least, you know, this idea of um, indifferent nature, you know, like it is the this thing that we just cannot control that was that is out to get us. And and all we can do is manage our reactions or responses to it or, you know, take actions. Against sure. it, but it's entirely indifferent to our suffering. Um, you know, the, the, the shark doesn't care uh, who we are, where we are and how we, you know, uh, who it eats. Yeah. Um, but uh, during the the 2016 election campaign, I think it was Mike Huckabee uh, oh, famously uh, talked about uh, 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 Trump being akin to Quint uh, on you know on the uh, uh, on the boat as being someone who's like just gonna is a who's a no bullshit kind of guy who um, who uh, who's out there to like rescue us and I think Huckabee described it as uh, out to rescue us from the shark, the shark being Hillary Clinton. And of course, Richard Dreyfuss actually chimed in on this and was like, Quint was eaten by the shark. Um, <laughs> and um, in this uh, in this Alex uh, uh, Alex Shepard article in the New Republic, uh, uh, also mentioned the fact that Boris Johnson told an audience in 2006 that the real hero of Jaws is the mayor. Uh, to be for, to be fair, Johnson did not approve of Vaughan's beach policy. Okay, in that instance, he got got it wrong. But in principle, we need more politicians like the mayor, and we are often the only obstacle against all nonsense, which is a really massive conspiracy against the taxpayer um somehow that man got elected uh, well uh yeah was was elected into pri- to being the prime minister um um but it it does go to show that the that the way in which this film understands that kind of ultimately what could be a stock character the way in which this this film actually exemplifies the realities of that type of person and you know watching it now against uh, everything that's going on is really telling um and really prescient the other thing, uh, just one last thing, I, I was I was really interested in was the 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 way in which uh, Jaws has affected marine biology. Yeah, uh, and there's a great paper that I found um, uh, published by uh, Dr. Christopher Neff at the University of S- Sydney, who's a researcher in public policy, uh, who wrote about the fact that Western Australian. The, the, I actually read this out to my wife just to like you know because she reads a lot of scientific papers, and I was like you know can you just verify this paper and and let's talk about it. And she, she was very surprised by this, but she said, the, the quote is, the Western Australian government's current imminent threat policy to catch and kill rogue shots is predicated on Hollywood fiction, says Dr. Neff, a lecturer in public policy. Um, the Australian government withdrew its application for federal government to extend its drumline policy, albeit securing permissions to kill sharks. Uh, the policy is using myths as a basis for killing sharks that are protected by law and which provide no real beach safety. And I think there is this um, interesting phenomenon, which is that the uh, uh, the the pace of the extinction of great white sharks was accelerated because of this movie, um, and and we we've seen that ha- you know like the way in which we think about sharks was entirely changed because of this movie, um, which is maybe telling about the way in which you know like the thing you said earlier, individual smart people dumb. Yeah, um, is, I, I was sort of quite surprised by. It's insane. Uh, I mean, well, and look, we we have been, uh, <sighs> wow, am I going to tie everything back to that nightmare in the White House? Okay, so th- the same thing that Jaws, it's, I, and there has to be a psychological uh, term for this, and actually any psychologists uh, listening, uh, onlymoviepodcast, gmail.com, please let me know if I'm onto a thing and what it's called before I thought I thought of it. <laughs> um so Jaws, we watch Jaws as a society and we go, holy shit, there are monsters in the ocean. And then we go hunt them because that's the most popular thing about this one thing that we've seen, right? Uh, it's kind of the same reason that we now have the president that we do because <laughs> we saw him on screens uh, being highly produced to look like he was in charge. So we all now think, or not all of us, a lot of us think this is a man who doesn't take bullshit and is only, and, and knows how to be in charge because that's the narrative that was shown to us. Then that transitions even beyond into the chaos realm we live into now into the real world. Uh, it's interesting how pop culture can do that. It's actually kind of one of the reasons 
and now I'm going stretching a little bit, but that I didn't watch Tiger King. Okay. <laughs> because Tiger King, again, it just felt like another, like, we're not going, like, this is no longer public shaming people that are doing horrible things. This is raising them up to a celebrity status or or being something that, like, everyone should should be engaging in. And I kind of look back to The Apprentice Days and I look into all this stuff where you take abhorrent people and you raise them up as an idea. Just like you take the idea of a shark being this dangerous killing machine that's going to hunt people, not true, show it to a bunch of people, and then everyone it, it, everyone sort of agrees that, yep, sharks are, sharks are evil. So it's kind of like, and again, I'm not saying that the intent is the same across of all those things. What I'm saying is the effect is the same. If, you, if the public zeitgeist watches enough of a thing, people just tend to believe the thing. It's why propaganda works so well. It's why there's less great white sharks in the ocean. And that's kind of sad. Um, but it's just an interesting thing. I, I, it's, it's, and especially going back and watching what I would consider one of the seminal masterpieces of Steven Spielberg's career. This thing works on the level I just described, monster shark, shark bad, da 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 da. But then on the the aspects that you brought up, Shahir, about all the prescient points of the stuff that's not only relevant today, but has been relevant for a long time. And I feel like maybe we're at the age now too where that resonates more because we are aware of what's going on and we aren't children. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's 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 amazing that this movie, this first blockbuster, this this hunters killing a monster tail. Uh, can actually resonate so deeply across multiple levels uh, in a film where Robert Shaw is in his own movie. <laughs> he's <laughs> I, so I th- good. I, he's so good. I, I don't think he's in his own movie. I think he. I think he's perfectly uh, attuned to what this movie is, which is that he is he's the Captain Ahab uh, of this merry band of uh, of hunters. Uh, you know, like offset by the 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 anxious uh, Chief Brody and the eager uh, but naive uh, you know uh, Hopper marine biologist Hopper uh, it's it's a you know like that that is a that's such a perfect trifecta of characters to throw onto a boat and the other thing that's calibrated so well in this movie in terms of pacing um, you know is the is the 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 first half, which is this kind of outward horror movie for a few scenes, then a political film for a while as they negotiate the sort of uh, how do we deal with the the fallout from the shark, and then eventually, and then eventually, you know, landing into a, like a Moby Dick style hunting, you know, hunting the great white, and you know, like the folly of hunting the great white and the losses, you know, the pyrrhic losses of uh, or the pyrrhic victory of of hunting the great white. Uh, this movie sort of transitions between those things so seamlessly. And so effortlessly and none, none make it feel like a different movie from the other. It kind of feels like it's just such a great overarching, um, uh, compelling story from start to finish, you know, that, that takes you on these turns that, you know, changes ultimately, you know, changes sort of its genre from point to point, uh, in a really effective way. Um, it's sort of, it's just surprising how good that is. Exactly. Or, I incredibly disagree. I actually can't tell you because what she, the points that she here just made happened when Skype, the Skype shark, the great Skype shark God chomped on the cables and uh, we lost each other. But we're back now. That was hopefully seamless for you. What's what's scary about it is I can't remember my points because it was like 10 minutes ago. Um, yeah. So uh, the uh, minor interruption to our programming, <laughs> but we're back. That's not bad. <laughs> First of all, not bad for doing this for quite some time now uh eight weeks now eight or nine weeks yeah uh you know what i'll I'll take it um yeah let's just let's just get into sort of uh, because we've been going for a little bit and plus we'll cut out that 10 minute chunk of me going hello hello (laughs) and she here she i was like well the shark got him uh let's get into sort of uh sort of final fun thoughts we've got we 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 both know this is a masterpiece everyone kind of knows hopefully we've at least be able we've been able to like uh, expunge some fun information and just sort of get you hyped to like not only again watch Jaws because watch it it's like really good for right now despite the fact granted uh, yeah, I don't know if this was the times or whatever it's a very white movie 
Oh, yeah. um, I, I, I actually, I was counting, <laughs> you know, I was counting how many people of color I saw in the film and I, and I, I think I got to five. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, there's, listen, there's, 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 yeah. even, 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 uh, mm. masterpieces have faults. Um, but, uh, it's incredibly poignant for, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm not even going to hint around it for failure in government and how people, <laughs> again, people or person smart, people stupid. Uh, mm. It works on a lot of levels that every time I watch it, I seem to catch something new. And I was very excited for us to uh, to get to chat about it for a little bit. Did you hear? Of course. Yeah. No, I think the you know things that have been interesting for me is how it's resonated over time, how much I kind of admire it uh, just on a pure technical you know filmmaking level. Uh, again, uh, the things that I kind of catch this time around are Spielberg's acumen with the relationship between the camera and people. Um, you know, it's just so good. Like like uh, little things uh, like on the beach when she, uh, Brody is kind of paranoid about a shark being on the beach, and we do this sort of like three snap little cut into his uh, into his face as he's watching. Yeah. And his paranoia growth. It's so, so seamless, so perfect. So, you know, it's such a well-executed uh, trombone shot, you know, like it's, it's just perfect. My favorite, my favorite mm. shot. I'm so sorry. I forgot to talk about it mm. is the broken dock turning. Oh yeah, so clever as well, right? Because there's, you know, like so we understand that we can't see that they can't show the shark. Yeah. So this is such a great solve for not being able to see the shark. Yeah, uh, and you, you obviously, if you've gotten to this point, you probably watched Jaws. You know what I'm talking about. It's just that moment. I, I wasn't like I don't think actually any other moment in the movie this time gave me like a gut sink feeling. Like, oh yeah. no, that <laughs> moment still does. <laughs> it's we just talk, so good. We talked really briefly about. Um, uh, I think I can't maybe it was in our Halloween conversation. We talked about the morality clause of horror movies. This is actually okay. So side topic before we get to that topic, the idea that that's interesting is that Spielberg is an out and out horror filmmaker that's never quite made a full blown horror. Sure. Although there is stories that he you know uh, ghost directed Poltergeist. Regardless of that, you know this is a good example of of his ability to direct horror and why I would be truly thrilled if he did an out and out horror film. That would kind of, I guess this is the closest he's ever gotten. Um, but the the other thing is the morality clause of films. And, and, you know, we talked briefly on, on Halloween about, you know, uh, when a film violates that morality clause, particularly in the case of human boogeymen. Mm -hmm. So when Mike Myers, uh, kills a child, uh, you know, it kind of essentially breaks the morality clause that we have with the film, but maybe for an interesting result, you know, because then we, we sort of think about Mike Myers as being more dangerous, uh, you know, beyond the boundaries of the frame. And this is a film where a child is eaten by the shark in the in in the first act and um i think you know like what's great about this is again spielberg is a populist filmmaker so he's a filmmaker that's uh, appealing to the broad market you know this is a pg rated film um spielberg i think famously managed to get the pg rating on raiders of the lost ark as well uh, despite that having again many you know out out and out horror moments well that's before um, pg-13 was a thing right didn't he? yeah before pg-13 yeah. was a thing he got yeah that i think that was the film that kind of made that made that rating um but but this is a film that manages to kind of ultimately maybe in a pluralistic sense violate the morality cause of what we think a movie should do but do it in a way that is completely inoffensive because it understands who the villain is in this in this film versus who the heroes are in this film and and the shark has you know they he goes out of his way to make sure the shark has no personality the shark is just a pure evolutionary eating machine yeah i will say the thing that didn't work for me this time around and it might be just because i've been reading so much about how the shark didn't work is whenever the shark makes a full-blown full-body appearance yeah. on the boat you know like the shark actually jumps up on the boat and like you know is like chomping at the bits i'm like yeah i'm you know this shark seems really gung-ho to kill these people yeah like it's got a personal vendetta against them well, i think it, it's a I, jaws I remember, four i don't remember yeah jaws four like there's a baby <laughs> one and then it gets you know they kill the baby and then the mom like hunts the people or <laughs> yeah something. like the, the 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 shark is actually out to get one family yeah it's a. Uh, um uh kind of missing the point of the sort of faceless shark in this in this film um but again so masterfully executed um the the 35 millimeter restoration that i have on blu-ray is startling to look at you know particularly around the water highlights you know this is a 
film that's made so much money for Universal that I, uh, I'm sure that every format that comes out from this point on will have a Jaws Blu-ray, uh, you know, a Jaws release at some point, and every restoration will be involved. So this is the first, uh, the the one that we're giving away uh, copies of is a Blu-ray restoration, which I haven't actually seen yet. So I'm sure uh, the water looks spectacular. Yeah. Uh, the cinematography by Bill Butler is uh, is so good at being ordinary, but still um the world we expect it to be and the beautiful version of that world um so i you know i now the great looking yeah and now the beginning of the film will look even more like the beginning of wet hot american summer (laughs) well the one thing i was like again you know again that that morality clause of what this film is is like he has a pretty explicit nude shot that is perfectly silhouetted you know where we're going actually uh, we're seeing a, a woman completely nude uh, from below, but perfectly silhouetted and makes and makes sense within the context of this film that it doesn't feel like that. My parents showed it to me as a ten-year-old and didn't think anything of it. And maybe our you know moralities have changed over time, where that's not uh, that that's a bigger deal now than it probably was back then. But um, it's interesting the boundaries with which Spielberg pushes his audience here. You know, like. The head in the boat is like is a terrifying moment, and it's like it's terrifying, but it's also like playful, you know. Like he he well, really like knows Goonies how to play playful. the audience. Yeah. Um, so no, he's uh, look. I go. I I I I've been talking. I, you know, Joe who wrote us in and wrote us and did a video essay has been far more uh, proactive about this. I've always wanted to do a video essay about Spielberg. That there's the video essay market is totally flooded at this point, and I just don't think I have anything <laughs> useful to contribute. But but I would love to do a discussion of Spielberg's what I've always called Spielberg's jazz years, which are the period after he worked with Stanley Kubrick. Do it. Um, do I, it. I've Look, always wanted to talk about that period in, in particular. Video essays aren't about if you have a new take. It's <laughs> ha- it's it's about it's about uh, just really leaning How into hot dang can my memes. take be. Yeah, yeah, you just lean into the dank memes. Lean into the dank memes. Uh, this has been the only podcast about the film Oz. Wait, no. It <laughs> <Yeah>. was uh, <laughs> Jaws. It was Jaws. Uh, thank thank you again to uh, Universal for giving us these copies to give away to you. Again, Shahir, what was that question they could email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com if they would like to win this beautiful copy of Jaws? Uh, according to Quint... How many people, how many men did shark did sharks eat on the USS Indianapolis or around it? There's a there's a very specific clip. If you go, if you search it on YouTube, you'll be able to find out the answer. You'll have to do a little bit of basic 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 math. Basic, basic math. <laughs> um, <laughs> I suddenly became Daffy Duck. Daffy Duck. <laughs> wow. Um, but write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail We'd love to hear from you. Yes. Uh, and we'd love to give away some copies of Jaws in 4K Blu-rays, uh, which will just be gorgeous to look at. Yes. Uh, and uh, you should all be watching this film because it is a, a tamer contagion for our times. There we go. Shahir, mm-hmm. when you are not transforming yourself into beloved cartoon characters mm-hmm. from my childhood, where can folks find you? You can find me switching the rabbit season poster over at my website, www.shahirdowd.com. Matt, when you are not uh, making sure that it is duck season, not rabbit season, where can people find you? You can find me debating the validity of Elmer Fudd's gun at M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN, and of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. We just wrapped up our series on dividing the Middle East. Do you want to talk about a messed up time after World War One, where people in rooms with maps and pencils thought they knew better than cultures? Come on down, we got a five-parter. And actually, Shahir, uh, the following Friday after this podcast drops, we'll be doing a series I think you'll really dig. What? What? It is uh it is entitled Exploring the Pacific and it's oh. all about 
uh, the Pacific in general, but also the islands, Macronesia, uh, Micronesia, uh, Fiji it has a big yeah, role. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Hawaii, all that stuff. So, uh, Bula Banaka, let's see what we got. It's really, really interesting because we take it in two parts. We do how uh, the native people, like, you know, see, uh, wayfinding and, and all of that jazz and the technology that they use to sail these vast distances on dual board canoes of yeah. 60 feet um, with their crab claw sails. And then we get to when the Europeans come and just fuck everything up as per <laughs> usual. Uh, so I urge everyone to check that out as well. We, um, uh, we've also, you know, if you uh, listened to our episode last week, we took a break from doing an episode because we didn't feel like it was the right time to be talking about anything. We've decided to come back in this episode because we found that there was an in that we felt was important that we could that we could talk about uh, in terms of making the film relevant to today. We're st- we are uh, still painfully aware that uh, there is a number of issues going on in the public right now. So if you are dealing with, if you are protesting, stay safe. Black Lives Matter. Please check out Dave. Sh- you know, if you just want to watch something that's uh, Easily accessible. Uh, please check out Dave Chappelle's uh, stand-up special that he just released called 846, which is also the title of our previous episode. Uh, Spike Lee's uh, the, the Five Bloods is out as well. Uh, celebrate Black Excellence. Uh, talk, you know, uh, talk to your Congress, write to your, uh, write to your leaders. Uh, it is a good time to be taking action because we are at home, uh, and, uh, we can do so. And also, even though all of those things are a hundred percent things that we all need to keep moving toward and fighting for, don't forget that, uh, I was going to call it like I see it. These monsters who are in government are pushing things on the sidelines because that's the main story. They just, uh, I believe, uh, are trying to roll back protections for LGBTQ people to be able to get health insurance. That was today on the uh, on the anniversary of the Pulse massacre. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, cruelty yeah. is definitely a choice, and they're yeah. just rocking in it. So uh, <laughs> while also, you know, again. All of the things she here said 100%, uh, call every person, representative, et cetera, that is in your district and let them know uh, you're not going to stand for that shit, this shit, the other shit, that little bit of shit they're trying to sneak underneath the rug, uh, or just them loving the smell of their own farts. Um, yeah, sorry. Is there, is, is, fun movie, serious tones, important ending. We'll do something next week. Yeah, and When's the Blu-rays? Blu-rays? Look, you When's came Blu-rays? here. For all those things. Save the post office. Yes, Bye. Save the, save the fucking post office. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.